0: you are totally washed over from head to toe with love for them and I when I'm with my children I just get this feeling of there's nowhere else in the world I'd rather be than mm. that and that is such a wonderful feeling to get and mm. it just gives you such a sense of purpose and such a sense of belonging and that for me is, is a massive massive thing that I get out of it and so tied in with that is the cuddles the cuddles that you get (laughs) from your child are the best thing in the world you know you can be feeling really under the weather or really tired or really stressed and you'll have a cuddle from them and it is like you are sort of washed over with the most lovely sort of medicine tonic you know and it it washes things it makes it makes things feel more manageable um so, yeah, the, the love, the sense of belonging, the purpose and the cuddles are, are fantastic.
1: Hello and a warm welcome to season five of Brown Don't Frown podcast. Our first ever episode went live back in October 2019... And since then, we have brought five seasons totaling almost 50 guests and their stories straight to your ears. I hope you've been able to learn from them as much as I have. I am your host, Tanya Hardcastle. Brown Don't Frown spotlights the experiences of a diverse range of women and brings new perspectives. So I hope that you finish each episode feeling more rounded, energised and inspired. Heartened by my own personal journey with pregnancy and motherhood, Season 5 will be a special series comprising four episodes covering the joys and challenges of motherhood and maternity and empowering change in childcare, mental health and the workforce. The BDF community has grown so much over the past three years. Thank you to all of you who have subscribed to the podcast and left as a review. As an independent podcaster, that means a lot to me. If you want to stay updated on the latest news, podcast episodes and exclusives, you can sign up to the newsletter by clicking the link in the episode notes. That's all from me for now. Enjoy Season 5. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Brown Don't Frown podcast. So today I've got a really interesting guest. I've got someone called Katie Pearson joining us um, all the way from uh, the northeast of England. So Katie and I um, went to a sixth form college together many, many years ago around. I think we were talking earlier around maybe 11 years ago now, and she was in um, we're both in the same English literature A-level class. Um, So we were just reminiscing about that um, just before we started recording and over the last few months I started following uh, Katie's journey with motherhood, especially because um, I got pregnant not too long ago and it made me see a whole new side to life, especially because if you asked me a year or so ago I would have said, Um, you know I wasn't I was still undecided about children Um, so now whenever I come across women who have got kids or who are pregnant it really intrigues me to see and uh, see their journey Um, so I reached out to Katie and asked her if she'd be interested to talk a bit more about her journey with motherhood and she was very happy to oblige so without further ado welcome Katie to the show how are you?
0: Hello thank you very much for having me um I'm fine thank you how
1: are you <laughs> yeah I'm not too bad it's uh, it's good to talk to you after so long I mean it'd be great if you could tell us a bit more about yourself um you know your background um you know education qualifications and also what you do now uh, and a bit more about your family
0: Um, So after we parted ways, you and I, after after sixth form, um, I went to uni. I went to Sunderland, so just up the road, really, from Teesside. And I did a BSc in Physiological Sciences. Um, And that was because I was always really interested in biology. That was one of the A-levels that I did. Um, And I I, I loved the human body. I was always fascinated in it. Um, And then after that, I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I loved my degree. And that was... In a way, it's actually quite um, quite appropriate to this podcast because I always said it was like my baby. So I suppose that was my first baby because it, I was just so in, into it and so engrossed. And all my pieces of coursework were just like an extension of myself. They were like something I produced and I, I really, really enjoyed it. But I didn't really enjoy the labs. I was quite sort of nervous in labs about doing it wrong. I much preferred the sort of theory writing. Yeah. And I didn't really know what to do. For me, all the jobs I thought of were quite lab based. And then I was sort of looking around at masters, but was a bit sort of unsure about what to do. And then I saw a master's in nutritional science at Northumbria, which obviously was in Newcastle. So, again, quite local. Um, So I did that. I did that master's in nutritional science um and i did really well i got um i got a first in my bachelor's i got a distinction in my masters oh wow um, that's
1: fantastic what-
0: Oh, thank you. I, it was. I was so surprised. I when I um I was expecting a May, I think, for my masters, and I remember logging on. It was in November, um, because the masters is a full year, so it's September to September. So I handed in my dissertation in September, and then we had this date in November when you'd get your result. And I remember logging on and seeing the word distinction, and I wasn't expecting to see it. And I remember looking at that word, and for a few seconds, not being able to read it. <laughs> it was such a surprise but I hadn't actually enjoyed the masters very much I found it quite stressful mm. but while doing it and um, it wasn't accredited so they said to get your accreditation you'll have to put together a por- portfolio afterwards so we recommend that in your free time when you're not at uni um you know just just do some other things that are related so I started volunteering for a few um like cookery workshops that were run by a, a charity and they were Sort of aimed at adults with learning difficulties and disabilities, with you know, a v- variety of, of things going on there. Yeah, and I volunteered for those a couple of days a week, and I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed being with them. I got a lot of good feedback, and that was sort of something that was always going on in the sidelines. And then when I finished my master's, and I was saying to my mum, I just don't know what to do. Yeah. Uh, she was one of the special educational needs coordinators at a local further education college. And she said to me, well, why don't you come and work as a learning support assistant for a bit at our college? And we'll get you an interview and everything. And you can do that until you find out what you want to do. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Quite I went my master's to do that um, as a learning support assistant and I enjoyed it. I was with sort of post-sixteens in the classroom. Some had autism, some had Down syndrome, some had sort of general uh, learning difficulties or a developmental delay. Um, and I was with them in the classroom, just supporting them. Um, and I, I enjoyed it. And so by this time I was 23. And then I'd been doing that for about six months. And all the way through, I had the same boyfriend. Okay, and yeah. James, and you went to college with James as well okay um, yep yep and he went to bede and so we've been together since the end of bead and he went to uni in newcastle so we were very close geographically to each other and we'd see each other a lot of weekends um and he was by this point halfway through his phd oh wow his- phd yeah so he's a mechanical engineer so he did his master's in mechanical engineering and then he did this this phd so i'd been working as an lsa for about six months he was halfway through his phd um, in Newcastle I'd had to move back to Teesside to do this. We were sort of like travelling backwards and forwards between Newcastle and Teesside to see each other. Yeah. Yep. And that was when I unexpectedly fell pregnant with Emmeline.
1: Oh wow. Okay, so it was quite a surprise for you both.
0: It was it was I was I was 23, um, James was 24. And, um yeah, it was it was a complete surprise. Obviously, he was halfway through his PhD, so he was very engrossed in that. I was sort of at a bit of a crossroads with my career and thinking, you know, I don't really know what to do, but yeah. I'll do this now. Um, so yes, yeah, so I' so I've got Emily, who is four, yeah, and I'll have Edward, who is two, and wow. I'm, I'm a stay-at-home mum to them. I stopped working with Emily when I was about four or five months pregnant. Um, because I was working at a college and um, it was it was quite easy sort of to decide when I was going to stop working because obviously there was the summer holidays so I worked up to about June I think and then Emily was born in the October. Oh um,
1: wow what a journey.
0: After, yeah I've stayed at home with them ever since.
1: Oh my goodness wow so you've had quite you've had exposure I guess to a different lifestyle. So you had the exposure to obviously going to entire education and then working for a while before you had um your children. So it sounds like you've had quite a well-rounded sort of um, adulthood a young adulthood I, I guess because since you got you were quite young when you got pregnant at 23 but it would be really I think interesting for, for listeners to know about you know you said obviously you know what made you decide to start a family and did you always see yourself becoming a mother so you've already said that you know it was, it was a bit of an unexpected pregnancy with your first one but um you know the same question still applies you know did you did you always see yourself going into sort of starting a family prior to that um-
0: it's something I always knew I wanted. Um and my best friend and I played with dolls, not like Barbie dolls, like baby dolls. You know, we have like baby yeah, yeah,
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: We we played with those dolls a lot as children and actually longer than the rest of our friends did, you know, they sort of grew out of it. And she and I were still going to each other's houses and playing with dolls until we were, I don't know, about eleven or something, which when you compare that with children nowadays, hmm. it seems I ought to be doing it. So I think I I always liked babies and, and things like that and as well I think with me going into the the learning support sort of field after uni yes I do have quite a sort of um quite a caring streak mm. I, you know I like... a soft spot yeah for, for caring for um, young people I, yeah you know, I like animals we've always had dogs I like looking after the dogs and I sort of when I'm caring for somebody else I do tend to feel sort of quite relaxed and quite mm. like I'm like I'm being true to myself, like I'm not having to put on a front or, or try hard or anything, but it's, it's something that I always, even since being a child myself, Yeah. the one thing I knew was that I wanted yeah. to be. Yeah. And I think I, I, I am quite an anxious person and I am a worrier. And I, I did used to worry. So sort of as I got older, sort of early twenties and when I, when I still wanted it, and then you start to think about it, you know, when you, when you're a child and you think, Oh, I'd like to be a mummy one day. You don't sort of really think about it seriously. But then sort of once I got into my early 20s, I did sort of tend to be a bit of a pessimist maybe and sort of worry, you know, well, I hope it can happen for me and I hope, you know, I hope I don't have any struggles. Um, And I I remember being at... um, being in Newcastle and visiting James at uni and walking into the lovely big Marks and Spencers they've got there and at the entrance they had all the baby and children's clothes and I'd walk past those and just think oh I hope I can buy those for myself one day even though we weren't actively planning a family at that point or anything mm. um, so yeah it, it's something that I, I always knew I think above everything else the one thing I always knew I wanted was, was to, to be a be mother.
1: yeah
0: yeah yeah Oh, that's really interesting. And um, to be
1: honest, I share quite a lot of your anxiety there. You know, you mentioned how you thought, even in your you know in your early twenties, you thought, "Oh, am I going to be able to?" I hope I can be a mum. Like, am I going to be able to do it? Um, yeah, I, I've had quite similar um, thoughts myself. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, I thought, oh, "What if? What if I can't have them? What if there's something wrong with me?" Just all of these, like you know, as you say, sort of pessimistic thoughts about what could go wrong, rather than what could go right. Um, mm-hmm. And my then partner, who's, who's now my husband, um, he, he was just like, well, Tanya, why don't you start thinking about everything that you think can go wrong? Why don't you think the, the exact opposite and think of what, what if everything went right?
0: so that helped mm-hmm. me
1: sort of change my mindset a little bit but I think I do definitely have that sort of inner pessimist of you know thinking negative things about you know what could go wrong but I I was I was quite scared um thinking I wouldn't be able to because my my mum she um it took her almost three years to get pregnant with me um oh. and she was 29 when she got pregnant I'm I'm incidentally I've just I've just turned 29 myself and I'm pregnant but um I just thought it would take me a long time um to, to get pregnant and I didn't want to be sort of an older mum because you know yeah. I had to be quite young so that sort of was always at the back of my mind when I started because you know a lot of our friends a lot of my friends in my sort of cohort are like oh I want to you know wait until I'm in my 30s and I just thought personally that wouldn't be an option for me because it increases risks of you know complications and also I just didn't want to wait that long but I'd say up until you know as I said a year or so ago I wouldn't have said that i definitively wanted to be a mum it was only Mm -hmm. um you know after I got married that I thought oh it would be so nice to you know create our own little human if you want to put it that way
0: with somebody and it is a a bit of of them and it's like you make the ultimate thing with the with the ultimate person in your life and it it is nice I think it's quite innate when you when you're in love and when you commit to somebody yeah let's make a person yeah yeah
1: Absolutely. And uh, Katie, I mean, it would be good to know like what your journey with motherhood has been like since, you know, w- you know, what made you decide to focus on motherhood? And you've touched upon this already saying you had sort of a natural inclination, you felt very well suited to, you know, nurturing and caring for for people, even before you became a mum. But I mean, I'm guessing you know it's not going to be all roses and and sunshine and flowers and daisies it's going to have a lot of challenges that come with it as well so it'd be good to know about you know your sort of journey with motherhood so far
0: um so I sort of got thrown into it um my pregnancy with Emily at the beginning I had a lot of nausea
1: yeah which I found
0: difficult but that sort of eased about 16 weeks and then after that I had the I don't think there's ever such a thing as an easy pregnancy and it's when people say oh you had an easy pregnancy and it's like well it's not easy because you know my pregnancy with Emily I think was was termed as an easy pregnancy and like I said I struggled with the nausea at the beginning but then you have all the um like my fingers and toes swelled I had quite a lot of joint pain oh yeah you know yeah. Had, uh, real problems with wind at the beginning um and bloating and things like that so I had lots of like niggles but there was there was nothing serious. It was it was really quite a straightforward pregnancy. So just the usual um,
1: symptoms, then would you say?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, she was she was a bit small. I'd gone for um, a routine sort of like midwife check at uh, thirty, maybe thirty one, some thirty something weeks, mm. and she said, oh, bump hasn't." Gone up by as much as it should have done. So we'll send you for a growth scan. So I went for the growth scan and she was sort of, I think, between the 10th centile and the 25th. So she was a little bit small. Mm, Okay. And I said, come back in three weeks. So I came back in three weeks and they said, she's still on the 10th to the 25th centile. So she's still small, but she's tracking her own little line. So we're happy that she's gaining weight. So we, we don't need to see you again. So I think those two scans were something like at 32 weeks and then 35 weeks or something like that. So then she wasn't checked on again. I didn't have any sort of cause of concern. And everything was just sort of tickety-boo, really. It was just like general. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of ticking by. And then it was the day before her due date, I went to bed and everything was fine. And then I got up in the early hours, so went out into the day of the due date. Just it was um quarter past one in the morning, and I got up. And by that point, you're used to getting up during the night to go for a wee because oh yeah 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 definitely, when you bladder all the time. And so I got up to go for a wee, and you know I thought nothing of it. Went to get back into bed, and then at my tummy started to feel quite uncomfortable. And I, because I'd had problems with wind, I thought, oh, it's trapped wind. It's fine. Um. And I'd had fish and chips for my tea, which, you know, it, it, <laughs> yeah, it, it
1: does cause, uh, you know, a bit of discomfort.
0: Yeah, it can make you uncomfortable can't it? sometimes okay. have fish and chips. And for my pudding, I'd had, so her due date, so the day that we were on at this point was the 28th of October. And James and I developed a bit of a routine when we were at uni of getting a um, Krispy Kreme Halloween donut. Oh, nice. So- I'd had a Krispy Kreme Halloween donut for my pudding and it was Monster Mummy. <laughs> that was a bit of a clue because that was the last thing that I ate. And yeah, so I thought, oh, you know, I've had fish and chips and a donut. Um, you know, it's my due date now. It'll have just sort of disagreed with me. Anyway, I soon figured out that it wasn't that. Um, and everything sort of happened. And um, we were living with my mum at the time because James was because I wasn't working anymore yeah. and because um, because I was a learned support assistant it was an hourly paid position so when I wasn't when I was on maternity leave, I wasn't getting any okay. sort of income yeah, yeah and doing his PhD so that was subsidized he got money for that but he wasn't eligible for a mortgage with that because there was it was a special word for it but he so we weren't eligible for a mortgage so we thought oh well, we'll wait another two years my mum my mum's got a big house It was just her and us in it my sister was away at uni um, so she was like, you can stay with me, that's fine, you know, until James can get a job and you can get a mortgage. So we were living with my mum, and she was obviously up and about and pottering about on the landing as well. And um, my birthing, I had my birthing ball and I was on that and, you know, making all these sort of noises like a monkey and, you know, that you have never. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, this was a quarter past one. And James was ringing frantically trying to get through because we've been told, whatever you do, don't just arrive. You must bring us and tell us that you come in. And uh, they were saying, how far along is she? How regular are contractions? And he was like, well, she can't talk. Like, can you not hear her in the background? And they were like, well, we need to speak to her. And he said, she can't talk. Uh, you know, she's, she's she's in pain. So I, they said, right, well, come down now. So we went straight to the hospital and Emily was born at 20 past four.
1: So- oh, that's really quick. So my-
0: Three hours, which for your first born, I think is quite uncommon. That is, that's uh, so quick. Oh my god! Uh, no pain relief, no time for any pain relief. um And when they realised what had happened, because I'd got there, they're like, right, you know, come in, do a week, get on the scales, you know, all this sort of routine stuff. And uh, then they'd like left me sort of simmering for like forty-five minutes, and I had my mum and James with me. And, you know, they were tearing the hair out because I was just sort of like making all these noises. And then somebody came in and I said, will you, will you check on me? She said, all right, then get on the bed. And then she was like, right, you're fully dilated. So I sort of got all this way really quickly. So we're like, right, well, you'll need this and sort of thrust the gas and air mouthpiece at me. Um, And then, yeah, she was born. So it was, it was all really, really quick.
1: So it wasn't too stressful or too, was it how you imagined it would
0: have been like? No, my mum's labour with me was 15 hours, so it was fairly long. And you always get told with your first baby, your labour's yeah. usually long, yes. expecting to be at home, uh, I don't know, in the afternoon and, oh, we've got a little nibble, oh, this could be it. And then, you know, an hour later, oh, they're getting slightly more frequent and expecting to have this sort of slow labour that I was I was told all about for it to go on for hours. And I was actually worried that my labour was going to go on for too long. Um, and I, I remember being at an antenatal class and we all had to write down something we were worried about. I think I, my my worry was that my labor was going to be really long. So I don't know whether somebody from above had been shining down on me that day. Well, <laughs> oh, that's oh,
1: uh, that's quite a good, I guess, quite a positive birth story, then, isn't it? Really, when you think about you know some of the other sort of traumatic stories that you hear about women being in labor and starting off with you know going for a vaginal birth and then ending up having a C-section. Um, and so having to navigate that I I can't imagine that's easy but um so it was sort of how it according to plan really the way you describe Um, it
0: it wasn't it it it, it was a traumatic birth it it was quite traumatic um she was um she was in distress and I I (gasps) was it was it was traumatic and lots of things went wrong so she ended up being um uh some people call it one two some people call it kiwi I get a suction sort of delivery.
1: Oh yeah. Of. Yeah. I've heard about that. Yeah.
0: They got her out and everything. Um, but it was it was just really quick. And I think I hadn't sort of really realised that my baby was coming because it was all so quick. And then all of a sudden it was like, all oh, right, here's your baby. Um but then um she was she was poorly afterwards. Oh no that um, that must have been really hard. Yeah. And so we had to go up to the RVI in Newcastle and spend a couple of days there. Um and then we got discharged back to the hospital where she was born. And then we were home a week later and everything, we sort of began this sort of healing process. But I think I, I found it really difficult. I think because everything had happened so quickly, because the birth was so quick mm. and I hadn't really had time to realise, oh, my baby's coming now. Um, and I think in, in a way, labour, even though it's traumatic and long and painful, it, it's almost like you said to yourself, right, okay, it's going to happen now. My baby's it's going to be here. This I, is it. Yeah, this is it. I'm going to see my baby. And I, I didn't really sort of get a chance to really realise what was happening. Um, and then she was whisked away because she was poorly. Um, so we didn't. I didn't really get a lot of time like cuddling her and, and bonding with her because she was being looked after by the nurses and she was in an incubator and this, that and the other. Um, and then after that, I just sort of struggled to come back down to earth Mm. And I, I've always been an anxious person. I was an anxious child, but it was always very manageable. And I just really, really started struggling with anxiety quite a lot. And it, it sort of, but bizarrely, it wasn't with her. It was with me.
1: So it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't her having that impact on you. It was just yourself.
0: Yeah, my anxiety wasn't. I wasn't worrying that something bad was going to go wrong with her. I was worried that something was going to happen to me. I think oh, and oh, no. me people to look after her, um, and so I just I just sort of became really on edge all the time. I became sort of quite withdrawn, wasn't really doing a lot, um, and I, I I tried various things. I did acupuncture, I did a course of CBT, I, I you know took supplements, tried everything, um, and then she was about eighteen months old, and I started taking um, a medication called sertraline. And I, I put it off and put it off. And in the end, it was like, well, I've tried everything else. I, you know, I want to get better. Yes. I want to be a calmer, happier, more confident mum for my child, because I know I want to do this. You know, I know I want to be a mum. I know that I love being a mum and I, I want to give it my all. Yeah. Um, this for me was the only thing I hadn't tried. So it was it was scary. I was terrified of the this, this side effects. And I always said that swallowing that first tablet on that morning, I vividly remember doing it. I was sat in my mum's room and took it with her. That was scarier than having a baby because I was just so scared. What am I letting myself into? And I had the usual side effects for about four weeks. Uh, but then after that, I started seeing the seeing the benefit of it. You see an improvement. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, so you, you yeah. felt glad that you, you, you initiated that for yourself. After and you took it. about three months, I was much more capable. We could, we could go out. For days with her, and I could focus on what I was doing rather than having all these worries. Um, And that that was really, really helpful. And I'm still on it now. I'm on sort of quite a low dose. I've managed to sort of stay on the low dose, but it, it does it does help me a lot. And it was when she was 18 months old that and I started taking this that I had this this um this turning point and I was able to start enjoying it more. And so ever since then, after those first 18 months, it's it has been lovely. Mm. And I've really enjoyed it. I, and I just, and
1: it sounds like you felt encouraged, you know, enough to be able to have another child as well. So it, it must have had a really positive impact on you.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. Because I think I always knew I wanted sort of two or three children. Yeah. Um, and After Emily was born and the birth was difficult. And I just found being a mum so hard. I think because I was nervous. And I, when she was born, I didn't know how to hold her properly because I'd never really held babies a lot. I'd been around no. lots of like young children yeah. and toddlers I've not been around many babies so I didn't even know how to hold her
1: yeah no me neither it's also it's all you know got to start somewhere haven't you I guess
0: I, I found sort of moving the, from the position that where you've got them laid in your arms and you're feeding them to then lifting them up and putting them over your shoulder to burp them I found that maneuver really difficult uh whereas James could do it really smoothly he was like this expert baby burper and I would watch him do that and sit and hold back tears because I thought how come you can do it and I can't yeah yeah you beat
1: yourself up about it
0: yeah yeah um and I I did find a lot of it really hard at the beginning because it is a total life change I
1: know I know everyone's been telling me and you know I'm under no illusions about how much how drastically your life actually changes and and yeah. how much you've got to change um you know your behavior your daily routine and just you know basic things like sleeping and eating you know are significantly compromised with the newborn aren't they
0: oh yeah like you, you you get used to cold cups of tea and coffee and cold food and like people say to me oh Katie your cup of tea's gone cold or oh your your dinner's gone cold and I'll just look at them and I'll say it's fine I'm used to it yeah <laughs> you get cold drinks and cold food and you don't you don't bat an eyelid at it but then I think the second time around, you've, you've just got this muscle memory.
1: Yes, and yes. Got- it is meant to be easier second time around, isn't it? Um, and I'd
0: learned that, yeah, I'm not very good at burping a baby. James is, for some reason, really, really good at burping a baby. He's got the- But
1: I'm sure you're better at other things that he
0: yeah. isn't. And yeah. that, that doesn't make me a bad mum because I can do all the other things. And, but at the time, I couldn't see that. And it was almost like I had to learn that. Um, so then when I had Edward I would just be like oh James I, I can't burp him this time can you take him can you try and I was that sort of blase about it because I knew it didn't matter
1: no not in the grand
0: scheme of things absolutely not I, I knew I could still do everything and I was still a very capable mum but mm. I had to sort of learn that that first time round with Emily everything I found difficult it was I saw as a failing as, as I, you know, I was failing as a mother, and but then you learn afterwards that you're not. You've just got strengths and weaknesses like everybody else. And actually, you know, when they've when they've got a ta- when they're going through a tantrum, and you know, they're sort of past the point of you being able to rationalise with them, and they're totally hysterical. I'm really good at dealing with that, and and settling them back down again. And you, you know, you you start to see just because I find one thing hard, that doesn't matter. I'm still no, a good mother No,
1: no, absolutely it doesn't define who you are, and. No. You know, we've spoken quite a lot about your experience, you know, with motherhood. Um, but it'd be good to go back to, you know, the sort of wider implications of, you know, being a stay at home mom and what that means broadly for, you know, society more generally. Um, and if your 18 year old self, for example, could see you now, how do you mm-hmm. think that she would react to your decision to be a stay at home mom?
0: Um, I don't think she'd be surprised at all that I'm a Uh, mum, like I said, because I always wanted. And I think actually, because I was a pessimist and because I really worried that it wasn't going to happen to me, that I wasn't going to be blessed with that. I think she'd be really pleased and really relieved and really excited about what was to come. But she would be surprised, very surprised at the age, at how young I was, I think. And that I hadn't uh, established a career
1: right because
0: was okay always very studious uh yeah I very, remember you
1: being very studious and like such a big sort of enthusiastic contributor to discussions um yeah. doing lessons like you were always very very engaged and willing
0: oh, thank, you. <laughs> thank you that's lovely it's almost um, quite
1: intimidating actually I was like oh god I wish I could you know say all these fancy things
0: oh that's lovely thank you <laughs> um, so yeah, I think she would be surprised that I hadn't um Pursued a career and got my career established and, and everything first, and, and then had children. I think that's what would have surprised 18 year old me. Mm.
1: Well, I mean, you know, um, 60, 70 years ago, you know, women were expected to be the ultimate bastions of sacrifice and selflessness. You know, they're meant to be mm. like martyrs of the family. And mothers who worked full time or or had a career, you know, or had aspirations would have been frowned upon um, all those years ago. But then when you fast forward to today, you know, our society really is the polar opposite. You know, now women are looked down upon for not having career aspirations and choosing to be stay at home moms, which is now almost, you know, seen as a pejorative and this perception sadly has been created by women. Like we are the gatekeepers of that narrative. Um, And, and, I'd, I'd be really interested to hear from you. You know, why do you think that is, and, and what is your response to the stereotypes
0: and stigma associated with being a full time mum? Well, I think you know, historically, if we look back, um, however how far in history, I'm not sure of the exact dates. And that's that's my ignorance. But you know, women have fought so hard to be to be equals and and to have this flourishing career. And you know, when you look at the suffragettes, some of them have even died for it. Yeah. Um, so I think once those ideas sort of led into society and women who who were ambitious and career-driven and wanted to be taken really seriously they became less of a minority and more of a majority yeah um, these aspirations just became more common mm. and women could were able to see and realize what they could do and that they could they could do they could do way more, they, and they, they could, could do, do everything
1: work. that that men did as and well. Like, well,
0: actually, I can do everything that you're doing, and I think they sort of started thinking, "Well, why?" It's sort of a bit of a, a cheesy, sort of cringy way to describe it, but the most accurate, the, the best way I can think of describing it is if you sort of picture your life as like a pie pie chart, and they probably thought, "Well, why have my pie chart?" life all one colour when i can have a segment that's been a mum and i can have a segment that's my career and i can have a segment that's my interests and a segment mm. that's um socializing you know why well, can't, why can't i have I all, all these them. things yeah and you know it's, it's
1: it's they're not mutually exclusive are they being being no. a mum and working and having aspirations like why are they they're not they're absolutely not mutually exclusive if you don't want no. them to
0: be and I think that that's all that happened. You know, the suffragettes sort of planted this seed. But eventually, yeah, the idea is that you can have more to your life. You don't have to just stay at home and look after your kids. You can have, for want of a much nicer, more eloquent way of putting it, a multicoloured pie chart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And women thought, yeah, you know, I I I would like that. I would like to have, have and do different things. But I think the the stigma that's attached to sort of, being um, being a stay-at-home mum. I think uh, the fact that we're pack animals, w- way back to when we're sort of cave people, you know, we are sort of intrinsically, innately pack animals. And I think that's the reason behind a lot of our behaviours. And I think because of that, we fear judgement because you don't want to be like, excluded from the pack.
1: Right. And I
0: think there's a fear to be seen as though you're not contributing because if you go back to the pack animals thing, you know, if somebody's not contributing to the pack, then, you know, that they're, they're going to get cast out or, you know, sort of not, not seen as equals. So I think that is behind some of the stigma, certainly the, the inward stigma, mm. if, if you like, that we don't want to be, to be judged for staying at home. We don't want people to think that we're not contributing to society. Um, and I think... Women didn't fear it in in the, you know, in the times when, you know, 60, 70 years ago, because it wasn't, it wasn't something that we knew was possible. No. You know, you didn't didn't need to fear being judged or being seen as not contributing to society because, Mm. well, nobody, nobody went out and worked. Mm. And I think it's now that, you know, being a working mum and having both sides to your life is more common you, you do sort of it is more worry
1: about it. I mean what's rewarding you know, or contributing to to society you know you could argue that you're contributing by having children you know you're carrying on the human race and one day your children will grow up and they will contribute to society so I guess that's, that's another way of looking at it but as a counter argument yeah. to those who say
0: otherwise yeah because I think it you know it, it is contributing to society massively you know like you said you're, con- you're continuing the human race I mean what what bigger contribution? Well, I mean, can we're to gonna have population than,
1: you know, more people. Yeah, and we're gonna have a population shortage. You know, in the, in the next few years, we're gonna need more young people because we've got you know a reverse uh, inverse pyramid, if you like, of an mm-hmm. older older population. You know, and we don't have a large enough working population. So, the the problem, you know, the, the solution to that is to to have more children, which people aren't really incentivized to do, unfortunately, these days. Mm-hmm. Um, But, you know, it does sort of sometimes feel like whatever you do, you know, whatever women do is just not good enough. So if if you're a working mother, you know, you're neglecting your children. And if you're a stay at home mother, you have failed to achieve your full potential. You know, so it's just that sort of, you know. Narrative, black or white. and a lot of women calling themselves feminists, you know, are part of that problem of this women shaming, you know. and do we have a problem then with with internalized misogyny just because you know you're not paid to be a mum doesn't mean it's not valuable. You know, raising children is one of the most underrated and undervalued roles in life, you know, I mean, I mm-hmm. think there's a sort of Wider, probably you mentioned obviously the the sort of pack in nature that you know we don't want to feel that we're sort of excluded from the broader consensus. Yeah. But at the same time, like there are sort of challenges with um, misogyny as well. There,
0: mm-hmm. I think one of the things that that helps me with with my decision to be um, a stay at home mom because I I do sometimes beat myself up for for not contributing financially. Um, but like I, James reminds me, you know, when, I, when I'm sort of having a bit of a, a downtime and I'm thinking, you know, I don't I don't contribute financially. Yeah. And um, he reminds me of everything else that I do yeah. in the house. And that, that's really nice to have that, to be reminded of that by the person who is doing the financial contribution. Mm-hmm. And he'll sort of say, well, I'm able to go out to work and financially contribute because, because of of you. you're doing at home. Yeah. Yes. And he's like, well, the money that comes from my job isn't my money. It's our money because, you know, you're sort of enabling me to go out and earn it by everything that you go, you do it, you know, you do at home. So even though you're not actively sitting in the office and, um, you know, getting the money paid into your bank account, you're still helping me to, to, you know, to earn. And then he, like you said, you know, he says, you know, there are benefits, massive benefits in society um from the work of the mother and you know it's like he he sort of reminds me quite a lot of that and that really does help um but I think that the biggest help actually comes from the mum friends that I've I've got and most most of my close friends aren't mums themselves yet so most of the mum friends that I've made have been through Emily's friends at, at nursery and at school oh, um, yeah um, there's sort of, there's a split. Some of them are stay-at-home mums like myself. Some of them work full-time, some of them work part-time. But quite a few of them, have the the ones that work full-time or part-time, have said to me, I don't know how you do what you do. I don't know how you stay at home with the kids all day. I go to work for a break. Um, You know, and that they they admire me for for staying at home. I think getting that praise, reassurance, whatever you want to call it, from the women who are doing what I when I'm having my doubtful days what I think I should be doing uh you know for, from working mums getting praise from them for being a stay-at-home mum that is mm. the biggest compliment yeah. and that is the biggest reassurance and that actually really means an awful lot to me mm-hmm. um mm. when I get that, that praise from them um, but I think sort of you know with with the doubts that we do we do have um for for being stay-at-home mums I think a lot of it is just down to the desire to be doing the right thing mm. and being in the eyes of others to be doing the right thing and you know we worry about what people think we don't want to be judged and I think that's where a lot of it comes from yes um, yes it definitely also, does you'll find this yourself and it's awful and it's one of the worst parts of being a mum. and it's mum guilt. And- guilt yeah
1: <laughs> I've heard about that so many times that buzzword yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: it's it's really, it can be difficult to manage at times. But I think mums worry about doing more and being better across all areas of life. Mm-hmm. I mean, and what it, does that
1: say about our society, though, that expectation, that pressure? Um, but I mean, like, I think it's really nice, though, that you have, you know, a, a sort of community of young mm-hmm. of, of mums who are there and who are empowering you. It sounds like, you know, they're saying what you're doing is, is really hard work. We couldn't do it. That those that do work. Um, but... It reminds me of, of um, the book um, Invisible Women by uh, Caroline Criado Perez. And she says that, you know, we like to think that the unpaid work women do is just about individual women caring for their individual family members to their own individual merit or benefit. But it isn't. You know, women's unpaid work is work that society depends on. And it is work from which society as a whole benefits the unpaid work that women do isn't simply a matter of choice. It's built into the system that we've created and it could just as easily be built out of it. You know, why, why do we have mum guilt? You know, it's because we have all of these pressures from um, you know, from, from external forces telling us we need to be capable of doing everything. We've got to be superhuman. Um, And there's, you know, ONS, ONS analysis of time use data, which shows that women put in more than double the proportion of unpaid work when it comes to, you know, cooking, childcare, housework. But we can say that now, you know, arguably some men share some of that burden, but we don't have parity in unpaid work between the genders. Um, and I, I, as you see, I have already described, you know, this certainly resonates with you in terms of the amount of work that you do. Um, and as you said, you know, people, especially when it came to the pandemic, suddenly realised that, The people who were full-time parents had such a difficult job because they ended up having to stay at home with their children and homeschool and work at the same time. Um, Mm -hmm. And and a lot of people came out during the pandemic and said they'd never ask a stay-at-home parent what they do all day, you know, in sort of a pejorative Mm -hmm. way anymore because people who had office gigs, you know, moaned about having to do all of it, but they didn't realise how much comfort and sort of balance they had when they they were the fact that they were able to leave and, and go to work and have a break as you say from yeah. you know, being with children all day every day I mean how, does that resonate with you and it, the, the amount of unpaid work that you have to do do you fa- do you feel like you've got good balance do you think you've got good support
0: um I think it, it is going back to what you were saying at the beginning I think it is it is difficult for mums with with the mum guilt and yes. I think some of it comes from society because I think women have um something to deal with that men don't have because men have always been seen as, as the career you know the breadwinners yes yes whereas like you said before that's fairly new for women or you know, in the past 60 to 70 years that has developed so we've got the side of viewing women from that point you know as as career women but we've also got the old-fashioned ideas of viewing them as being uh, people who stay at home and run the house and look after the kids and i think now we have both of those expectations sandwiched together for women, mm. whereas men only ever really had the pressures of going out to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where it comes from. It's sort of the the balance of the old fashioned ideas, the modern ideas of women sort of crash together, and it's like, well, hang on. Yes, we were sort of given freedom through the, the suffragette movement of being able to pursue our careers, but we've still got the old fashioned expectations on top of us as well. And yeah. I think that's where a lot of it, a lot of it comes from. I just think we haven't society hasn't married those two things together nicely mm-hmm. and said right well you can do this but then you know ease the pressure on that side you know if you want to be a career mum uh that's fine don't put as much pressure on yourself to I don't know do, a whole do day everything day yeah because bake sale or uh, you know do make your child a fantastic costume for fancy dress day at school or whatever because you've chosen to focus a bit more on that side and I don't think we sort of say to people you know you can the scales in your life don't have to be even you know you can Mm -hmm. sort of focus more at home or Mm -hmm. more on your career but then the fact that something has to be taken away from those other sides that's okay because you can't give a hundred percent of yourself no you can't it's it's absolutely it's absolutely Uh, impossible isn't it yeah and I think with with the whole movement of giving women more career aspirations that narrative wasn't there we we didn't sort of tell women yeah you know yeah we're going to let you have equality we're going to let you pursue all these careers but please be kind to yourself while you're doing that and please don't put loads of pressure on yourself we Mm. didn't do it just said yeah yeah you can go and achieve things as well uh Mm. that sort of like kind soft encouraging voice um was never there it was just yeah go and pursue a career but still raise a family as well go on do it um, <laughs> I think that's a take-home
1: message really you know it, that sentence yeah. be be kind to yourself you know don't feel like yeah. you've got to do everything all at once and be perfect at absolutely everything it's yeah. just not you're, humanly it's possible.
0: possible you know when you when you are doing more things other things do sort of maybe mm. take a bit of a back you know if you're a career mom and you're out working mm. I don't know 10 hours of the day or whatever um, give yourself a break if your housework falls down mm. and you don't get the laundry done as much or you don't get to hoover as much as you like you know because you you can't mm. do 100 percent on both sides Yeah, no, you can't. Um, and yeah I think that we need more of that narrative yeah that, you know you can do you can do what you want you can uh, it, it probably doesn't that. help with social media you know having
1: mm. painting that picture of you know perfect mom you know I'm doing all this I'm juggling work and I'm able to sort of take my kids to school I'm able to participate in their sort of project work and help them with their homework and also you know take part in the bake sale as well and perform you know and excel in my career like all these sort of um, unrealistic sort of portrayals of, of what life as a working mum is like I think I think that can be really unhealthy um, especially you know for mental health as well I think can set up a really unrealistic expectation of what you know women should be doing um
0: and that's, that's yeah I think when, when my when my anxiety was really bad with Emily when she was like a little baby I would look at, at things that other mums were doing on Instagram and they'd post photos of days out and I would think I wouldn't be able to cope with taking her on a day out at the moment
1: yeah I would and it just to make you feel worse Yeah,
0: yeah I'd be like, oh I've just taken my child to um a play group and I'd be like oh I, I, I would get too stressed to take her to a play group mm. and I, I did find that really really quite quite stressful whereas I think now I've realized and it's, it's such a cliched phrase now but Instagram is a highlight. And it we, is. Re, well people are starting to do it a bit more now because we're, start, we're starting to realize that you need to share the rough with the smooth so we're getting a bit of it but people don't share as much of the bad things as they do with the good things and I think you know what can happen is you can have had a day where I don't know you've lost your temper at the kids for something minor and you've got loads of dishes and you're behind on the washing and you haven't taken them on a day out for a week or whatever and then you'll sort of absent-mindedly go on Instagram and you'll see loads of photos of other mums and you'll see you know a shiny sink and no clothes (laughs) in the background Um, everything uh, organized yeah I've just taken them on this wonderful day out and you can see that and think I'm a load of rubbish the thing is
1: yeah, it is a highlight, as you say, Katie, like it's it's yeah. not, it's not the full picture. It gives you a yeah. very small snippet of, you know, a day which might have incidentally been quite positive and where you managed mm-hmm. to get everything done. But then the next day, you might have completely fallen apart and had a million and one things to do and things could have gone wrong. And people wouldn't necessarily go out of their way to document that on Instagram, would yeah. they?
0: I think that's it that that same mum that you're comparing yourself with when you're having a bad day Mm. uh, because she looks as though she's having a good day the day before or the day after she might have had a really really pants day Mm. and and thought and you know being felt as though she was a load of rubbish as well when in reality nobody is um life's got to take it with a pinch
1: of salt haven't you
0: yeah, yeah, and I think that's what I've, I've started to be able to do now. I will go on Instagram when I, mm-hmm. you know, had a bit of a hard day with the kids, and I'd see what another mum's doing. And, yeah, my initial sort of instinctive reaction would be comparison. And then I've sort of got that voice now that will say, to like whisper in my ear, Katie, it's a highlight. She's having a good day. You have days that look like that too. She'll have days that look like your bad days. Take a step back. Yes. Um, and... I think you know if, if you if you're going through a period where you can't look at it that that healthily it's almost like you have to force yourself to think that and you, you know to, really, yeah,
1: you, you really remind, remind yourself
0: of that mm. um, definitely but I think on a on a flip side I've used uh, Instagram really well um for seeing things that other mum friends you know if they've tagged their location and I've flipped through and I've thought oh yeah that place looks really good and mm. I found out Loads and loads of places dictate the kids purely from other things other yeah of it child.
1: definitely I think social media definitely has um its benefits with you know discovering you know new places to go you know taking your children or experiences that someone's had that you can then relate to and think oh I'm not the only one so there is a, a big drive I think a big push to be more authentic uh and be more real about what's actually happening in your life whether that's particularly around mental health you know if, if you've got a particular problem or you're upset about something sharing that and saying you know I've not had a good day uh and this is you know authentically me right now um so, so that's I think a positive thing that's come out of it but even with that I think there's some level of embellishment you know and you know it's like a sort of positive spin story it turns out you know I've had a really bad day but then I've you know turned it around and made it you know positive sort of thing so there is that element of um embellishment if you like of not necessarily being as as accurate as it could be um but then this leads me on to you know something a bit more personal um to end on today um Mm
0: -hmm.
1: taking it back you know all the way come full circle back to you know being a mum um, mm-hmm. What, you know, what would you say is, is the best thing from your own sort of personal experience from being about being a mum? Uh, what's the hardest thing? And also, what is the one piece of advice that you'd give to expectant or new mothers?
0: Um, for me, the best thing um, is the love. Uh, it's, you look at that little person or those little people, depending on how many you have, and you are totally washed over from head to toe with love for them. And I when I'm with my children, I just get this feeling of there's nowhere else in the world I'd rather be than mm-hmm. that, and that is such a wonderful feeling to get, and it just gives you such a sense of purpose and such a sense of belonging. and that for me is, is a massive massive thing that I get out of it. and so tied in with that is the cuddles. The cuddles <laughs> that you get from your child are the best. Thing in the world that you know you can be feeling really under the weather or really tired or really stressed and you'll have a cuddle from them and it is like you are sort of washed over with the most lovely sort of medicine tonic you know and it it washes things it makes it makes things feel more manageable um so yeah the the love the sense of belonging the purpose and the cuddles are, are fantastic and you know enjoying the little things in life like they might say something funny or you might watch them enjoy their favorite program or take them to the park and they'll adore being on the swings and enjoying the, the simple things in life mm, yes uh, you'll look and watch a film you'll read a story to them and it, it's just sort of so complete and 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 so lovely uh, and that that's really nice. And then as they get older, and you get to see their personality develop.
1: Yes, yes. Lovely. And
0: you think, oh, I've got another little person. Because you know, when they're a baby, you absolutely adore them, but they're sort of like this adorable little thing that you look after. But you don't really you have, have
1: that, you know, conversational sort of um, two way relationship with them when they're a baby, do you? So when they get older.
0: And then when they then when they grow up and you think oh I've got a little person now in my life I've got a little friend and and that, that is really lovely that you realise you've, you've actually introduced this new person into your life who's going to be you know very central in your life uh, you know to have alongside you and that that is really really lovely hmm. um, I think the the hardest thing um, is mum guilt. It's, it's yes. something I agree yep. with, uh, you know, you, you put pressure on yourself. Um, have they eaten enough fruit and vegetables? Are they getting enough protein in their diet? Um, you know, um, have we been on enough days out? Have we done enough things to sort of, to stimulate them? Uh, you know, enough educational things. Are, are, are their table manners okay? Are, are there knife and fork skills? You know, <laughs> and yeah. all of this. And I think, we you know, when, when Emily was born, I'd, I'd, um, I'd bought this book, that was, you know, sort of things to do with your child month by month to sort of improve the development. And of course, typically, I barely had a chance to, to go through it. And some of them, when I looked at it, I remember thinking, God, that's a bit ridiculous. How am I going to do that with her? And in the end, I just sort of ended up just playing with her like anybody plays with their children. And I think that you, you learn that you know the, the the more children you i'm not saying you to have like 10 children but you know the more children you have or as time goes on with being a mum that you don't always have to be doing these amazing all the time don't yeah have no have to have five fruit and vegetables a day every day they don't have to go out and have the time of their life and be, really <laughs> be educated
1: and it takes a novelty it, out of it you know if you do something amazing yeah. every day it
0: yeah and so, some of the happiest days that my two have had have been sort of quite simple, like at home days. Emily loves, it's it's quite a blessing actually. She loves crafty things. So you can leave her with a crafty activity and for, for ages. And she just goes into her own little world. It's lovely. Edward loves playing with his toys and like I think he's gonna be an engineer like his dad, sort of fiddling with things for work. So you don't have to be doing all these amazing things with them. Uh, Tell me the most uh, simplest of things, as you say yeah um, so yeah so the mum guilt is really hard um navigating tantrums um sometimes i think having a job as like a hostage negotiator would be easier than uh, <laughs> you know why my two-year-old is screaming on the floor and I can't think of anything that they're upset about and when they, when they start fighting with each other as well you've really really got to think. Yeah, no, that been... can't be
1: pleasant. Like It takes me back to my own sort of relationship with my brother when we were young and we'd always fight and you know it's just very distressing for parents obviously and you don't realize yeah. that when you're when you're a kid but then when you get older mm. you have that perspective and you think I'm, I'm sorry I did that to you. Yeah yeah
0: <laughs> Um and when when they don't do as they're told as well, and sometimes you think like if if I shouted at you in I don't know, Portuguese, I think at the moment I feel as though there'd be more chance of you doing as you're told than there would be now. And that and you think, how many ways can I say this until I actually hit the spot that will make you do as you're told? Yeah. Uh, And wearing your hair out. So yeah, there's there's lots and lots of things that are difficult, but Mm -hmm. the the positives far, far, far outweigh the negatives because Good. you just get that's the- reassuring and it, it is it is it is wonderful and I have never for one never for one second regretted it I absolutely Good. love it I that's love very be- very reassuring Katie I have to say um, I love spending time with them and I remember because my dad's always lived abroad and I remember my sister and I were out visiting him when oh I was about maybe 17 and she was about maybe fourteen, and, he looked at us, we're out for the day and he just looked at us and he said, I hope you enjoy these holidays and they're not too boring for you. And we said, oh, we love them. And he said, you know, he said, we love coming out and being with you. And he said, I just like being with you. Hmm. And, you know, I'm. and I remember at the time thinking, oh, that was nice and and not really sort of getting it. But I think now I'm a parent myself. I totally get that. And just being with that person, your child, is lovely and you don't really have to be doing anything and yeah yeah you, you, you just love being with them and oh, I think the one piece of advice I would give and it's it's something I've really really learned the hard way is be kind to yourself
1: yes yes you must be yourself
0: there are so many opportunities when you're a mum but when yeah. you can be when you can think everybody else is doing this why am I finding it so hard it's supposed is, to be the most yeah that's definitely
1: thing. I think a take home message that I'm getting from you from today's conversation it really is you know be kind to yourself yeah. don't beat yourself up about something just and, and you know comparison is is the mm. uh, thief of joy or whatever that saying is it really is yeah, especially I
0: totally agree with that
1: um with, with um, the social media but um that's that's really reassuring Katie and yeah
0: any mum that you talk to will tell you that they've had hard things and they've had things that they've found hard Mm. um another thing is don't feel guilty for self-care and that's right. something I, I'm sort of learning now I think that's because, definitely um easier said than done isn't it yeah because I think we sort of think that oh we're wasting our time we're lazy we're not being an attentive mother oh instead of relaxing I should be doing some laundry or doing some cleaning or whatever but you can't pour from an empty cup no and exactly. when you're you practicing active you've, self-care, you've got to recharge those mummy batteries you do and you know we know everything works better with full batteries and <laughs> the same applies to
1: yeah
0: um and sort of one more thing and it's actually it's um it's a recommendation i follow a lady on instagram called anna mathur m-a-t-h-u-r i don't know how to pronounce the surname um but i find her extremely helpful um she's very very much about being empathetic and supportive and encouraging towards mums um and yeah there's quite quite often I've sort of gone gone to she's she's got books and podcasts and things like that and there's quite often I've turned to her if I've sort of been feeling you know a bit sort of self-critical and having a bit of a hard time and yeah she's just so supportive towards mums and really encouraging um so I definitely find her to be um a really good resource and if I'm having a day where I've shouted at the kids loads and I'm feeling like I'm an awful mum I just sort of remind myself as long as you're being attentive and affectionate I really don't think you can go far wrong mm. and they're sort of on the days where you're sort of dragging yourself through and you're I tired think, and yeah, being just be
1: there for them that's
0: that's all yeah. you can do yeah yeah and affectionate and yeah I think you're sorted
1: oh well that's those are some really good uh good pieces of advice and i'm definitely going to check out anna mutter if that's how you s- say her name um that sounds like a as you say a really good resource you know when you're feeling down you're feeling quite um, yeah. hard on your luck uh, and feeling like nothing's going right with the world when you're when you're a parent and you have those yeah, mum guilt she is
0: really really yeah. good
1: oh to temper that mum guilt yes good tip well um <laughs> Katie it's been an absolute pleasure to have you thank you so much for your candidness and um you know speaking so openly about some of the struggles that you've experienced with motherhood because it really isn't all you know joy and uh sunshine and and rainbows there are days when you know it can be really dark um so I, I do really appreciate the honesty um and frankness I think listeners will certainly appreciate appreciate that. Um, especially because you know some of our listeners might be you know thinking of becoming mothers. You know, I myself am mm-hmm. about to become one very soon. So it's uh, it's really reassuring to hear some of your experiences and know that you know it's it's not all hard and, and, and that the good far outweighs the bad. Um, oh, by far, by far
0: outweighs the bad. It is it's yeah. yeah, it's wonderful. I I I do I do love it, and I I think I do feel very lucky to be a stay-at-home mom. Yeah, that's the thing.
1: I think a lot of people, you know, begrudge women who are stay-at-home mums because they might not be able to afford it, or they might have other circumstantial reasons. So I think there's a bit of, you know, jealousy as well involved. You Mm. know, when people say, "Oh, well, you know, you're lucky you can stay at home. I can't. I've got to work." So there's definitely that as well. Grass is always greener, isn't it?
0: Oh, it is, isn't it? Grass is always greener. And but I think, you know, I, I get to have all these experiences with them. I get to have all these days out with them, and I am aware of how lucky I am to do that and you know i get to know them inside out as well which is something that i see as a great great privilege mm. uh, because you know there's lots of mums out there that aren't stay at home mums but would love to be yes. if they had the chance um and no I I don't take it for granted even though some days it's hard and I think I've lost myself a bit you know I've <laughs> yeah. my, it's just for me I don't know who I am apart from mommy you know you have those hard times as well but I love that I get to spend all this time with my children I get to go through all these experiences with them and I get to know them inside out and uh like for example Emily had tonsillitis a couple of months ago and she'd never complained of a sore throat, but she was talking at lunchtime and to me her voice sounded different. That was all it was, her voice sounded a bit different. And I said, open your throat. And I shone my torch in it and her tonsils were huge and covered in white spots. And I got her into the doctors that afternoon, and she went about it, and she was sorted. And thankfully I was, I was able to look at that really positively. And the whole rest of the day, I was congratulating myself that you know, my mum instinct was there. You know, I knew my child inside out and I knew when there was a problem. Mm. um and so yeah I am I am really grateful to good. to be able to be that in tune with them and I think that is definitely a massive benefit I mean obviously you, you're in tune with your kids whether you're a stay-at-home mum or not you yeah, know yeah, yeah. Is,
1: but it is nice to have that you know that what? ability to oh, know yeah. and yeah
0: that's yeah, really to good. just know when something's off Um oh. see so, yeah, the advantage
1: well it's been absolutely um incredible to have you on and and know more about you and your story so thank you so much katie for being here today i hope you enjoyed um chatting with me uh, and uh, podcasting
0: thank you it's it's been a wonderful experience Uh, i've really enjoyed it you've looked after me really well it's been lovely you and i wish you and your lovely little family um all the very best Oh, thank you so much. Photos, I hope. (laughs) Yes,
1: absolutely. Thank you. Um, I'll I'll probably play this back again for tips. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you know someone who you think might like this episode, please do let them know. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you hit the subscribe button, and you'll be notified as soon as a new episode goes live. Producing and hosting this podcast is done by me on an entirely voluntary basis. So if you enjoy listening, please consider supporting it through Patreon so that it can continue to provide you with engaging and meaningful content. If you would like to donate, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash brown don't frown pod. If you have any thoughts or comments, or would like to get in touch and contribute to the podcast, please do drop us a line at brown.don'tfrownpod at gmail.com. We hope you enjoyed listening.